Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wentao and U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo have met in Beijing to discuss stepping up trade ties between the two countries. Russia has officially confirmed that Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin is dead after DNA testing. And West African regional bloc ECOWAS is hopeful that diplomatic efforts to resolve the Niger coup will yield positive results. We begin with U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo's trip in Beijing. China and the United States have agreed to maintain communication over trade issues. Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wentao has met his U.S. counterpart Gina Raimondo in the Chinese capital. Raimondo is the fourth senior U.S. official to visit China in recent months. Zhang Chuanying reports. Minister Wang said that China is willing to work with the U.S. side to foster a more favorable policy environment for cooperation between the two countries' businesses uh, and to bolster bilateral trade and investment in a stable manner and to inject a stronger impetus to the world economic recovery. And that willingness to cooperate was also echoed by uh, Raimondo, who sent out the Biden administration's message that uh, recent curbs by the United States on American investment uh, in Chinese companies is narrowly focused and is not meant to decouple from China, uh, pointing out that the vast majority of the two countries' trade investment relationship is not actually involved in what they claimed national security concerns. Just as what Raimondo said about the trip, uh, the United States wants to have a stable commercial relationship and the course to that is regular communication. So though it's uncertain, it's still uncertain whether uh, Raimondo's visit this time will result in any significant change in China-U.S. ties, yet it's still widely believed that her visit will continue the messaging that both sides are willing to talk and seek more common grounds. That was Zhang Chuanying on talks to keep China-U.S. trade running. Still in Asia, a new survey indicates that the approval rating for Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has dropped to 26%. Experts attribute the continuous decline partly to Japan's release of nuclear-contaminated water into the ocean. Protesters continue to voice their opposition and demand that the government stop the discharge. Terence Tarashima reports from Tokyo. There have been a number of protests since the uh, discharge of the uh, wastewater from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, including uh, on the day of the release. Uh, protesters say the discharge of the contaminated wastewater into the ocean will cause serious damages to the environment, maritime life, and to the glo- global food security. The protesters say they will continue to voice their concerns until the government stops the discharge and find other means. We won't forgive the Japanese government for breaching its commitment to us citizens. I think the discharge of nuclear contaminated water is not only a betrayal of its people, but also a betrayal of the international community. So I firmly oppose it. They only test the content of tritium, but other radioactive substances are also being discharged into the sea. We feel very uneasy about this. We firmly oppose the discharge of nuclear-contaminated water into the sea. We want it to stop immediately. The ocean does not only belong to Japan, so I think it's unreasonable for the Japanese government to discharge the nuclear-contaminated water. Mostly it's due to uh, 
the uh, the handling of the troubled new my number ID card system. But uh, it, it is too early to say whether this two percent uh, is uh, due to the due to the release of the contaminated water. But experts say approval rating may drop further if Kishida mishandled the impact from the wastewater discharge. That was Terence Tarashima on reactions from Japan over the release of nuclear wastewater. Now in North America, law enforcement in Jacksonville, Florida, says the white gunman who shot and killed three black people at a store died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Police say the 21-year-old bought the guns legally and it was a racist attack. Critics are blaming Florida's lack of gun regulation. Nathan King has details. Another week, another mass shooting here in the United States. According to statistics, we're up over 470 for 2023 right now. But this attack, uh, again, more and more associated, like we see with these mass shootings, with white supremacy. Authorities are in no doubt that this government was targeting people of color. The Clay County Sheriff's Office, who has been assisting our agency with this investigation, received information after the shooting that the shooter had authored several manifestos. Portions of these manifestos detailed the shooter's disgusting ideology of hate. Plainly put, this shooting was racially motivated and he hated black people. Now, Jacksonville, Florida, in a very important state, uh, controversial state, uh, Ron DeSantis, of course, uh, the governor running for president, called the shooter a scumbag, said it was racially motivated and there's no room for that. There's lots of political back and forth already because of the lax gun control laws in Florida, but also what political opponents of the governor uh, see as some ra- racially tinged uh, legislation. There is a real fear in communities of color and also across the nation uh, that despite these killings going on and on and on, there is a lack of action, the state and federal level, when it comes to America's unique problem of gun violence. That was Nathan King reporting. Moving on to Europe, Russian authorities have officially confirmed the death of Wagner Group chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. They identified all 10 victims of last week's plane crash using DNA testing. They say the remains match the names on the passenger list. Alyosa Milankovitch has more. We passed uh, roughly around four days uh, from that uh, deadly plane crash. According to the records back then, it was 10 people who were on board. Two of them were the most important leaders or persons, people within the organization, uh, private military company Wagner. One is Evgeny Prigozhin, another one is Dmitry Utkin. Of course, uh, people are still wondering here how a plane like that can fall from the sky like that. Uh, It is from uh, something what we can hear that the cause has to be something from the outside. Only thing what we have seen is that the video which was shared, the video of a plane crash, when we saw a, an aircraft falling from the sky, uh, like a, almost like a leaf, one of its wings were missing, its tail section was missing. Uh, in that video recording, we were hearing that the engines were still running. So there is still some time that we, are awa- we need to await for the official investigation to give us some preliminary results why this air crash actually happened. That was Alyosa Milankovitch with the investigation into a plane crash that killed the Wagner chief.
and finally in Africa. After winning another term as Zimbabwe's president, Emerson Mnangagwa has promised to work with all people from across the political divide in the country. He's also pledged to leave no place or person behind in implementing Zimbabwe's economic development agenda. In the just-concluded presidential election, Mnangagwa was declared the winner with nearly 53% of the votes. Farai Makutuya has the latest from Harare. Just hours after being declared winner, Emerson Mnangagwa was magnanimous. I thank most heartily all those who contested in these elections, in particular the presidential candidates. There are no winners or losers, but one united people of Zimbabwe. Thus far, we have shamed our detractors who wish to see us divided and in harmony. But his victory is being disputed by the opposition Citizens Coalition for Change. The electoral board, ZEC, regrettably and once again, failed to perform its constitutional mandate by not announcing the correct and the accurate results. Notwithstanding the flaws of the election, genuine results should have been announced. The opposition claims results signed off at polling stations do not tally with the final results announced by the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission. Zimbabwe's election was marred by some irregularities, according to some observers. Ballot papers were delivered so late to some polling stations, voting had to be extended by a day. And there were also reports of voter intimidation. These issues and others were cited by regional and international observers as making the election below the expected standard, an assessment that has not gone down well with the government. Yes, I'm aware that some observer missions went beyond their call of duty and began interrogating legislation passed by our parliament. However, that stance may sour relations with other nations. Instead of acknowledging what everyone, what all other uh, election observers and the ordinary citizens and uh, the electoral management body itself even acknowledged its own weaknesses. The opposition says it will pursue all means to resolve the electoral dispute. It has 14 days to challenge the election results in court. That was Farai Mukutuya reporting in Harare. Still in Africa... West African regional bloc ECOWAS says it is still hopeful that diplomatic efforts to resolve the Niger coup will yield positive results. The group has maintained its desire to see constitutional order restored in the country. Kilechi Mkalam reports from Abuja, Nigeria. Omar Toure, the president of ECOWAS, has emphasized the regional body's commitment to see democracy restored in Niger. Despite weeks of speculation that it might deploy its standby force against the military rulers in Niamey, ECOWAS says it's prioritizing diplomacy and will only use force as a last option. We are hopeful that these diplomatic efforts will yield the desired outcome and make it unnecessary for the deployment of the force. Nonetheless, preparations continue towards making the force ready for deployment. After activating its standby force, ECOWAS has faced increasing speculation about when and if it will intervene militarily against the hunter. This anticipation has grown following the regional bloc's rejection of the hunter's recent proposal to remain in power for a transition period of three years. In the weeks following the coup, 
ECOWAS issued a seven-day ultimatum to the hunter, which was not heeded. Since then, the organization has engaged in a series of diplomatic activities to restore peace in Niger. Despite economic and financial sanctions, peace negotiations and threats of force, Niger's military remains steadfast in its position. Experts believe the mobilization of military force is unlikely. It is not in anybody's interest, certainly not in the interest of any African country in this block. So they don't have a choice. Now, the, the, the junta have said they're giving it three years. All ECOWAS can now do is to negotiate a shorter timeline. ECOWAS enjoys the backing of the African Union and many others in its effort to restore democratic rule in Niger. With the country landlocked and under sanctions, international relations experts have weighed in on the potential impact. People in Niger will continue to suffer. And while they suffer, it will degenerate into a humanitarian problem. And when there's a humanitarian problem, the people are not going to wait around in Niger. They will start to march. They will leave Niamey and they're coming to northern Nigeria. They're going to other countries in the region. We're going to have a huge number of people who will be displaced. Meanwhile, in response to rising tensions over military interventions, Niger's military rulers demanded the French, German, Nigerian and U.S. envoys leave the country within 48 hours. This move adds to the deteriorating relations between the new regime in Niamey, Western powers and ECOWAS, with Nigeria holding the ECOWAS chairmanship. But despite the challenges, ECOWAS remains steadfast in its commitment to using military intervention as a last resort. That was Kilachi M. Kalam on efforts by ECOWAS to resolve the crisis in Niger following the recent coup. Before we go, here's a recap of the top stories. U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is in China to discuss strengthening trade ties between the two countries. She has met her Chinese counterpart in Beijing. Russia has confirmed that Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin was among the 10 people killed in a plane crash near Moscow. And West African regional bloc ECOWAS still maintains its desire to the Niger coup through diplomatic means. And that concludes this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.